I'm going to try to, uh, 1230, I'm going to try my best to uh, get through this relatively quickly this morning. I'm sure that makes a lot of you happy. Um, <laughs> I say that every Sunday, then I go back and watch my sermon, it's 30 minutes long. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I know we got a little, a little get together afterwards, so I am going to try to breeze through this um, relatively, relatively quick anyway. But I want to, uh, I wanted to preach on it because I want to kind of pick up and continue on from where we, from where we left off last week. <clears throat> so if you recall, we, we were checking out a, a piece of scripture from the book of Galatians. And specifically what Paul is talking about in the scripture that we covered last week, because he was talking about salvation and, and how we are saved, you know, and the simple fact that we are justified, uh, the simple fact that we are made right with God through faith in what Christ has done for us. And, uh, and by nothing else, we, we, through, through faith in what Christ did for us, through his, uh, his life, his birth, his death, uh, burial, and resurrection, and ultimately his ascension. And that, that's what saves us. You know, and and Paul, Paul, Paul was facing some, uh, some difficulties when he wrote this letter to the book of Galatians because there was some, a group of people who were basically saying, well, no, you have to do this and believe in Jesus in order to actually be saved, in order to actually be uh, you know, brought into the family of Christ. And Paul just writes them back, and it's, he's very passionate about this in, in the letter that he writes to him, and, and he's very firm, you know, that what we do is not what saves us. I'm not going to say that's not important, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but what we do doesn't save us. Our ability to do this or not do that doesn't save us. And that's what Paul wrote to them about, and, that, and that's, what, that's where we, what we are centered on. It is simply our faith, our heartfelt knowledge, belief, whatever you want to call it, in what Christ has already done for us. That's what justifies us. That's what makes us right in the eyes of God. That's what, that's what makes us holy. Nothing that we do. You know, we talked about um, what you often hear Paul and, and myself and, and others oftentimes refer to in Scripture as the law. Um, those are those Old Testament laws, those Old Testament rules that, uh, that were given to Moses by God the moral laws, the civil laws, the ceremonial laws that were uh, for the Israelites. And while Paul does not disparage the law, uh, remember, prior to, his, prior to his conversion, Paul was, a, Paul was a major enforcer of the law. Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. He would have known the law backwards and forwards, upside down and sideways. And uh, that's one of the reasons that he went after Christians, because they were teaching this crazy thing that Christ was the Messiah and that the law was no longer part of what they had to do in order to be saved from God. Uh, so keep that in mind, you know, Paul, if anybody knew anything about the law, if anybody honored the law, it would have been Paul. But he doesn't disparage the law. He understands and he teaches the churches at Galatia, and he teaches us today, simply that our ability or our inability to follow the law, again, isn't what saves us. In fact, here's the thing, folks. The law can't save us because we are incapable of obeying it. The law, all of these rules that we talk about, and I know some of y'all are getting kind of itchy with me talking like this. We'll, we'll get around to it in a minute. But the law is not what saves us. Our ability or our inability to follow it does not save us because we can't. As a matter of fact, Paul says that we are actually condemned under the law because of our inability to follow it to a T. Paul reminded us last week in the scriptures that we talked about that, uh, that one of the reasons, the primary reason, really, that the law was put into place in the first place was to be our guide. You know, there was no law in the beginning, you know, until, until Moses received it in the Old Testament. And, and one of the reasons, the primary reason that that was given is that so we would know God's will 
but it also kept us in line. You know, it, it told us what right was, and it told us what wrong was, and it kept us in line to the best of our ability, to the best of its ability, until, you know, until Christ came. But now we're justified by faith. And I hope that I've explained what that word justified means, because I know that's a churchy word to use. Justified just means to be made right. It means that we had a problem with sin. We, we, we worship and we live under a God that cannot live in the presence of sin. So there's a separation there. Something had to fix it. Okay, we got the law that was handed to Moses over here, which is pretty thick. You know, it's like 613 of them if you include all the moral, all the civil, all the ceremonial laws. And then we have Jesus. And we are justified through what Christ has done. Not because of all the good, not because of all the, of all the rules that were given to us. Again, because of our ability to follow those. We are justified, we are made right, and we are made holy. Simply through faith. In what God, in what Christ has already done for us. Now, because of that, and this is what I kind of touched on a good bit last week, because of that, because we are all justified by faith, not what we do, not what we don't do, all of us are equal in the eyes of God. We can like that or not like it. It's a simple fact. We are all equal in the eyes of God. We haven't earned our salvation because we can't earn our salvation. We haven't worked our way into salvation because we can't work our way into salvation. Salvation is a free gift from God offered to each and every one of us. And because of that, we don't get to decide, we don't get to judge who is in and who is out in the family of God. We don't get to condemn and we don't get to question another person's salvation because we happen to follow certain rules and they don't follow certain rules. We're all different. We all have different sins that we deal with, and we all have different shortcomings that we deal with. Not a single human being in the history of human beings can claim absolute moral perfection, with the exception of Christ, who we know was fully human and fully divine at the same time. That's it. So we don't get to pick and choose, folks. All of us are reconciled to God. All of us are brought into the family of Christ because of what he has done for us, not because of what we did for him. Because of that, we're all equal. We don't get to condemn folks. And we don't get to put ourselves above or below anybody else. Paul writes in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are simply saved by the mercy of God. And we're all in this together, church. We don't get to elevate ourselves above other Christians. Nor do we get to diminish the dignity of and the worth and the right standing with God of anybody within the family of faith. Jesus saves us. Jesus and only Jesus. The same thing that Paul was dealing with back in Galatians. Not Jesus and our ability to do something. Not Jesus plus our ability to do something. Not Jesus plus our belief in something. Not Jesus plus our disbelief in something. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Simply Jesus. Period. Not Jesus plus, not Jesus and. Only Christ. And like we talked about last week, you know, because of this tremendous gifts that are given to us, this tremendous gift of salvation that we receive, 
<clears throat> through faith and through faith alone, you know, not, not through works, not through law following, not through law breaking. We're no longer under the constraints of the law. And I know this really makes people nervous talking like this. That's okay. We're going to get to it. I promise you. I'm going I'm to bring it in in a minute. We're not under the constraints of the law, folks. I didn't say it. The Apostle Paul said it. We read those verses last week. This is 2,000 years worth of church doctrine. We are not bound by the constraints of the law simply because of our faith in what Christ has done for us. Our ability, inability, doesn't make us righteous. There's, there's nothing we can do to earn this, folks. We are made perfect. We are made holy. And we are made absolutely clean through faith. Now, that is a tough pill for a lot of us to swallow for some reason. I don't understand why, but for some reason that's a tough pill for a lot of us to swallow because we've got this natural human tendency. I would say it's a natural sinful human tendency to want to compare ourselves with other people. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair if I'm following certain rules and laws and others aren't. It doesn't seem fair that they're equally embraced by God. It doesn't seem that they are equally fair, that they are equally righteous and made holy before God. It doesn't seem fair that, that, that this group of people or this person holds the same standing in the eyes of God if they're not following all the right rules that I'm following. And we have a hard, hard, hard time dealing with that a lot of times. We have a hard time accepting that. Jesus, by the way, actually talks about this whole idea of fairness uh, several times in the Gospels. And we're not going to get into that today for the, for the uh, benefit of our time together. But Jesus had, had a couple things to say about this whole idea of fairness. Here's the thing, folks. <laughs> Here's the thing. When we got those kind of attitudes, you need to ask yourself this question. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing when I mess up when I do something wrong, when I think something wrong, when I have impure or evil or sinful thoughts about whatever, or maybe I had to commit some kind of sinful action, whatever it is, isn't it amazing that when we go to God, we want grace and we want mercy and we want forgiveness? As a matter of fact, most of the time when we do that, we don't want it. We expect it, if we're being honest. We expect God to give us that grace, to give us that mercy, to give us that understanding because he told us he would, right? Why do we think differently about other people when they do? Why do, want, why do we not want the same grace and mercy and understanding extended to them? And so oftentimes, instead, we want to see God rain down his judgment on them. Think about that when, we, when we're comparing ourselves to other people in the family of faith. That's why we have justification through faith alone. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. We're all in it together, folks. 
you know we're all in the same family we're all in this together and we should treat and we should view each other as such now let's talk about this freedom stuff we're finally getting to it I promise you let's talk about this freedom stuff you know this, this, this idea of the fact that we're not confined to the law we're not constrained by the law this whole idea that, 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 uh, that we are free from the law because this is the question that always comes up this is the question that's probably on 80% of your minds right now so if we are not under the law if we're not, if we're not constrained by the law if we're not condemned because of our sin or because of our inability not to sin throughout our lives, you know, can we or should we just keep on sinning? If we're not constrained by the law, if, we get, if we're made righteous through our faith in Christ, well, can we just keep on sinning? Can we just keep on going? Technically, yeah. I'll tell you, talk to you about that in a minute. Can I or should I just continue to live my life basically as I lived it? prior to my, uh, my relationship with Christ? Those are the questions that always come up when we're, talking about this, when we're talking about this subject. Historically, there have been two, <clears throat> two extreme ends of thinking on this subject, and, and, and today it's the same way. Um, one end is, 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 is would be the group of people that we, we might call the legalists. L-E-G-A-L-I-S-T-S <clears throat> These are the folks who, who Paul is talking about in, in Galatians These are the folks who would insist you know, That you have to have Jesus and That you have to be an absolutely law-abiding citizen Under God's law you know, In order to, to be saved And, 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 and to you know, continue to be able to call yourself a Christian That kind of thing <clears throat> On the other extreme end Are what we call the libertines And y'all recognize the word liberty in that those are people who have the exact opposite approach. Those are the people who say, well, I'm, I'm saved. I've got faith. I believe in what Christ did for me. So I can. I can just keep on doing whatever I want to do, right? And I've known people like that. I'm sure some of y'all probably have too. The answer to this question, as is so often the case in a lot of these circumstances, is somewhere right there in the middle. Somewhere right in the middle between both of those, both, both of those two extremes. Paul dealt with the same issue. He dealt with exactly the same issue, the same, the same questions that were being asked. Over in Romans chapter 6, these are his, his words. He says, what, or he writes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? And then he writes this. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We are free from the law. As faithful believers, we are free from God's judgment. We are in a perfect and a right relationship with Him no matter what. No matter what. Simply through our sustained faith in Christ, we do have ultimate freedom. So the question is, what do we do with that freedom? Paul again answers that in our text today. And this follows, if you remember, we were in Galatians 3 last week, and, and this, uh, this, this follows his, uh, what, he, what he has already said as far as being justified by faith and, and faith alone and being made right with Christ. People are asking these same questions, dealing with these same issues. Here's what he says. Here's, how, here's, here's what Paul says we do with that freedom. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called 
to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who does that sound familiar to? Bemis? <laughs> that sound familiar to any of you guys? It should, because it goes pretty well hand in hand with everything that I've been talking about since June of last year. We have come absolutely full circle to where we began when I told you guys that one of my first Sundays here was where Jesus, I, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Y'all should be able to quote this thing verbatim at this point. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and... Dang, y'all got it. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then he followed it up by saying the exact same thought, exact same thing that Paul says here. The entire law is fulfilled in this command. As soon as Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he said, all the laws and all the prophets hinge on this one thing. What do you do with your freedom, my brothers and sisters? You serve one another humbly in love. You love your neighbor as yourself. The, the uh, um, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible translate that verse, be slaves to one another. That really drives that point home, doesn't it? Serve one another humbly. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you do. That's what you do with this, uh, with this freedom that you've got. Again, Paul writes back in Romans, Chapter 13, verses 8 and 10. We don't have, a, we don't have a, uh, a slide for this, but listen to this. this. This is the same message, folks, over and over and over and over again. Over and over. Jesus says it. All the New Testament writers say it. Back over in Romans, chapter 13, Paul writes, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever, here it goes, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Christian call, folks. That is our Christian ethic. That is everything that we are about. That is what we are called to be a part of as part of this awesome, awesome freedom that we have because of our faith. You know, we have a skewed idea of what freedom is oftentimes in our country. And we get this really, really wrong. A lot of people really mess this thing up. We get this idea that freedom is all about me. It's all about what's best for me. I'm free so I can do this. I'm free so I can do that. Never mind the other people around me. Never mind anybody's life that I might touch. Freedom's all about me and what I can get out of it. That is so messed up, and that is so wrong, and that is such a skewed idea of the, than the idea of Christian freedom. Freedom focuses on God, and freedom focuses on the needs and the love and the service that we have or should have for others. What is our proper response to this? What is our proper response to this incredible gift that God has given us, that we call salvation? That thing that we haven't earned, that thing that we haven't done anything to, to receive because we can't do anything to receive it, but that is freely given to us. What can, was our response 
to the fact that we have a right and perfect and holy relationship with God because he decided to give it to us. Not because we have to follow 613 Old Testament laws because we can't. We are condemned under that law, folks. Paul writes about that. We can't do it. What do we do? How do we respond to that incredible gift, the most awesome gift in the world? I'll tell you how you don't respond. You don't go out and live a self-righteous and self-centered lifestyle. The lifestyle of a Christian is completely opposite. We take that freedom and we run with it for the purpose of loving and for the purpose of serving others. You know, this, Kevin, y'all gonna y'all gonna do a uh, imitation? Y'all come on up. Um, this, this seems like a tall order, you know, because as we talked about earlier um, some months ago, you know, when we talk about loving your enemies and all that stuff, it, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And it seems like a tall order, you know, and, and in and of ourselves, we can't do it. You know, I, I wouldn't expect to, to hold anybody to that because, you know, I, myself, I can't do it. But I know that God can, and I know that that's what God wants for us. Jesus would not have said, and Paul would not have said, and all these New Testament writers would not have said, hey, the entire law is filled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, unless, they, unless God was going to actually equip us to be able to do that. That's what we call in the Methodist tradition sanctifying grace. Grace being the work of God that is always with us. Grace being you know, God constantly pushing us or pulling us towards him working in our hearts, working in our minds to transform us into Jesus Christ with the ability to love others as ourselves, And he will do that. He wants to do that for us. He wants to do that with us if we allow him to do so. In and of ourselves, no, we can't do this. <laughs> Goes back to why we have salvation in the first place, faith. God can. And he wants that for us. You know, when, and here's the thing, you know, when we have compassion on people, and, that, and, and that's something, that's one more thing that I, that I failed to mention last week. You know, I, I, talked about, um, I talked about other people's sin making us mad. And uh, what, what I said may have sounded pretty harsh, and it wasn't necessarily meant to be harsh, but it, it, was, it wasn't meant to be an eye-opener. You know, if, if, and what I said was, you know, if other people's sin makes you mad, if other people's sin makes you angry, um, don't think that you're being holy more than likely. You're simply being self-righteous that we should have the same response to sin. Here's what I wanted to say. I wanted to tack on to that last week and forgot. We should have the same response to sin that Jesus has. Okay? Sin, other people's sin, shouldn't tick us off. <laughs> other people's sin should break our hearts the way that it breaks God's heart. Other people's sin should evoke in us a response of compassion and empathy because of the suffering that that person is going through because of that sin. I told you last week, there's not a sin, unless y'all did y'all's homework and come back and, and, to give me something this week, I told you last week, and y'all can challenge me on this, I couldn't find a single instance in the Gospels where Jesus Christ responds to somebody stuck in sin with meanness, hatred, condemnation, Anger, any of that. Every time, every time, every distance that I read about, the initial response is always compassion and always empathy. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Think of the father 
in that story and the way that he responded when he saw his son running up that driveway. Y'all remember this story? Y'all remember that? Son goes out, spends all of his father's, all of his inheritance. He comes back, he's been feeding pigs, living, living, you know, living a horrible life. And uh, the father sees him coming up that road. And we're probably thinking, if this story wasn't so familiar to us, which it is now, I'm sure the first audience, the first story, the first audience this story was told to, those guys are probably thinking, uh-huh, here comes that son. He's fixing to get his comeuppance. He's fixing to get his what for. Let, let him have it, Dad. Lay it on him. But that's not what happens. That story, Jesus says, that man was filled with compassion. And he extended his arms, and he ran to that son. That's our response to sin. Folks, when the world, when the church, when us inside the church see this, but especially when the world outside the church sees that compassion, when they see a church that is utilizing the freedom that Christ has given us to serve them, to love them, to embrace them, to guide them, things change. People change. Communities change. Use the freedom to serve, to love. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. <clears throat> thank you so much, God, for the, for the uh, the witness, the witness, Lord, of, of 2,000 years of Christians who have gone before us, those who have laid the path for us, those who have, who have shown us the will of God, the character of God, the purpose of God how we're called to invoke that, to evoke that in our lives. ask God that you, would open, that you would open up our hearts. God, I ask, we thank you for the freedom that we do have. We do thank you for that, God. That's, that's, it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable, undeniable, un, un, unfathomable gift. And my prayer for myself and my prayer for being this United Methodist is that we would indeed use that freedom to love you, love, and serve others. That would be our guiding motivation as we move throughout our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.